Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- Four five one four two two zero. GreatNorthernElectric.com serving our Bainbridge and Kitsap neighbors with solutions for anything electrical in your home. Two zero six eight four two three six two zero. This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance. We help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Are you a service member thinking about buying or selling your home? Whether you're active duty, a veteran, or a family member, you need a real estate professional who understands the unique challenges of the military. A Navy veteran, certified military relocation professional, prior Blue Angel, and CEO of the Repoint Real Estate Group at Keller Williams Realty Puget Sound, Scott Lever specializes in helping military families relocate to and from the Kitsap Peninsula. Call him today at 206-486-4891 or visit online at repoint.com. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. found the bystander podcast today's guest is ian ritchie what's cracking ian first time to studio 15 thanks yeah you got a nice spot here i appreciate you coming down yeah thanks for having me i wanted to have you here because my first introduction to you was coaching alongside you on the field and being a bainbridge island resident now for eight nine years um i haven't seen a lot of good coaches and you struck me as that guy that was disciplined and working the kids on the techniques of I think multiple sports, baseball for sure, but I think I saw you early stage with your kids um, playing some football or flag football or something like that. And I was like, he's breaking it down, technique, he's demanding of the players, he's fair, he's honest. And I was like, that's the kind of coach I am as well. So I was like, hey, same ilk, very cool. 
Then I find out you're some big shot. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, that's a first. No, I was like, he's just like me, a volunteer dad, basically out there coaching and doing the right things and out with the kids and always active. And that's the kind of lifestyle that I had for 18 years. And now I'm here in the studio, but um, coaching got under my skin after all that time. Um, shout out to all those parents who made it horrible. Um, but I love working with kids and I always have and done multiple things with kids and I just wanted to say you do a great job as a coach, but now I understand you're not, not coaching. Oh, I, I still coach a little bit. I, I coach at the high school for baseball. Um, I've, I've kind of given a pass now on junior baseball and, and younger kids. It's, it's getting tougher as you know, with, with soccer, it's, it's getting a lot tougher. It's, it's to communicate with the kids now to get their attention full time, to get the most out of them. Isn't as easy with all the distractions. Then you know, it's difficult with parents. You know, you, you want them to understand. You try and communicate the best you can with them. They see what they see, and you see what you see, and it, it becomes more difficult over time. And you know, I, I don't think it gets any easier, but I've I've certainly narrowed myself down to coaching a little bit older kids now. Yeah, I, I know. I was starting to lose passion for coaching, and my my son was really becoming passionate as an athlete, and. I wasn't seeing his games all the time. I was traveling on the weekends. The wife would come home from work. I'd immediately go to practice. Um, started, you know, kind of ripping the family apart a bit because I was constantly out there on the pitch coaching. And then it just got to be a negative experience. And I didn't want to pass that on to my kid because he was starting to become very passionate about soccer. And I know your kids play sports. And there's a kind of a fine line where you got to opt out and be dad and be that supportive person and not the guy driving the sport and living vicariously through him or her. Yeah, it's tough. You you have to make a decision because it's very difficult to treat all the kids exactly the same. It's just, it's just very hard to do. And, and so, you know, a lot of dad coaches are either, either easier on their kid or too hard, quite a bit harder. And that's always a tough part. And, you know, I, I coached a group of boys from baseball and, and I appreciate what you said. That means a lot to me. It's, you know, as a coach, you, you want respect of other coaches. You want to see other coaches and how they run their practices. I learn things all the time from watching other practices, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. a baseball practice or a soccer practice, I used to see you out there all the time committed, you know, yeah. I'm out there three, four days a week and I think I'm committed. And every time I'm out there, you're out there, yeah. you know, and it, it becomes difficult. And so, you know, at a certain point, you know, coaching the same team since they were seven. Um, what's best for your son or daughter isn't necessarily what's best for the rest of the team in that the rest of the team might want me to continue coaching them. But at the same time, it's not necessarily the best thing for, for my son. And so we crossed that bridge a little bit and I, I took a little bit of time off from that team and, and, and now I'm back with them, um, which is really actually pretty exciting for me. I love that group of kids. They're, yeah. they're, they're, I, just, I love every one of them. Um, and, and that's a lot of fun. But, you know, I, I coached a 12U team last year, and that had some challenges. Uh, a lot of fun. You see a lot of growth, a lot of potential coming out um, of a lot of the kids, and that's the exciting part. But it's tough. You know, it, it, when they start getting that age preteen with all the distractions that start coming, it, it's, it's difficult to do, keep their, keep their focus. Yeah, for sure. I, I used to steal ideas from other coaches around and, and tweak them to make them just a little bit better or my own mm-hmm. or relatable to my sport. And, um, uh, that means a lot to me too, that that you recognize my commitment because I always felt like, you know, it starts from the top and you are the example that you set for your kids, whether it be as a parent or a coach. And, 
I appreciate that, and I appreciate what you do there. How? So tell me, you started a Mavericks baseball hitting place or something well, like that? Well, yeah, that so when, when, when my son was seven, um, there was a group of parents that had some nine-year-old kids that wanted to start a select team on Bainbridge. And at the time, there was, there was kind of a select program for baseball, but it was very loose, wasn't organized. Um, and they called and, and, and look, my son was a, was an early year stalker. Like when he was seven, he would go watch the 11 and 12 year olds and stalk them. I mean, literally go watch their games. I'd, I'd find myself at eight o'clock in the morning in Puyallup on a Saturday <laughs> watching, watching 12 year old kids play baseball. And I had these parents from Bainbridge looking at me like, the heck are you doing here? Like, mm-hmm. oh my God, you know? And so when, 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 when we got a call and he was, he was very excited to start playing this Mavericks organization and, and kind of put this one team together. Um, and through the years, that one team became two teams and then three teams. And all of a sudden you, you, there's eight teams and it, it became this thing. And, and, and we, we ended up getting a nice little indoor facility to be able to have batting practices at in the wintertime and, and to be able to utilize, which I think has helped the kids tremendously. Uh, we, we've been able to utilize that facility to bring in high-level coaching to work with the kids, uh, professional hitting coaches, professional fielding coaches from relationships different parents have. Um, it's been real successful for us. It, it, any organization, as you know, as you, know you, you grow, you go through challenges and changes and, and different perspective. Are we Bainbridge only? Are we the whole peninsula? Mm-hmm. Do we want to compete at the highest level or do we want to just potentially keep kids together who are going to play in high school together? And as they get older, those challenges get tougher and tougher because some of the kids want to play at a higher level and, and, and bring on other kids because certain kids don't care as much. Right. And they kind of start fading away. And so balancing that's very difficult in probably a lot of sports. I, I think the Mavericks have had a very difficult time because it's a nonprofit organization and we we don't have full-time employees in any way. And so it's all volunteer. The board's the coaching, uh, some of the coaches that come in get paid, some don't. Um, a lot of volunteer hours and, and a lot of organizational volunteer hours. It's tough. Yeah, it's a balance between being competitive and making relationships for the kids that last a lifetime and, and also growing the love of the sports, for sure. I mean, that's a big reason why my kid is in Puyallup. He plays for for a team out in Tacoma there, and it I likened it to he was – continuing to excel and the program couldn't fit that acceleration let alone there's not enough kids in this geographic area to make it highly competitive so for me it was like repeating the same grade in school over and over and over and i said okay if he's going to repeat fourth grade for the next seven years we got to bounce and it's not to say that we didn't have a a nice talent group but the instruction was lacking Mm -hmm. and uh, there's no way I was going to jump back in the pool and say, you know, I'll I'll take this over and coach again, you know, because I had made a clear decision in my mind that there's separation for me and my son. I'm in the role of supporting father. Right. Right. Now I can play with my kid anytime at 52. I think I still got it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) We all do. (laughs) I will beat his ass until he can beat mine, Mm -hmm. you know, and that will play all, all day, every day, one-on-one, stuff like that. Um, but he needs that environment to grow. And I, th- I think the game's the best teacher. And if you have some kids that are starting to excel in a sport 
and they're hanging out with some kids that are just goofing off at practice or barely attending practice or not giving their best effort, it's just holding your kid back. It's like you can do in the multiplication table and then never getting into division and fractions and geometry right. and all that other stuff. So, yeah, no, look, it's, um, we, we went through that. Um, fortunately, Jared's, my son JR's got a lot of friends at, at his age that all have pushed each other quite a bit. Um, but one thing we did is, and it was a, sounds crazy now as a commitment, but um, he played on a team down in California and we commuted for two years to play five or six summer tournaments down in California with a team down there, uh, which was, the, you know, the, the number one ranked team in the country. And the reason we did it um, was to see what's out there to see the best kids, to understand and know the work ethic it takes mm-hmm. to get where you want to be and to experience a lot of failure. And in a lot of sports, failure teaches you a lot. When, when, when you lose, you can learn so much. And creating situations that your child is uncomfortable in isn't always an easy decision, but it normally pays off in the end. Um, so yeah. we tried to create uncomfortable situations for him. We tried to get him in positions where, to be honest, he was going to fail sometimes. Right. And in the long run, I think that's very good. I appreciate that thought process too. And, you know, I want my kid to, to play in multiple positions. So he's either really good in this position, really poor in that one. And, and just like, like you said, the, you got to see what's out there. My kids played in, I think four clubs and in, in three clubs in four years. And I also make him go. I don't make him, but I encourage him to try out for other teams just to see what it's like and to say, hey, is this environment your environment? Does, is it conducive to your growth? Is this something that excites you? And it, it has to be player driven. But as a parent, we also need to introduce those opportunities and those those variables. And adversity is is a great teacher as, as well as the game. Um, so you're this hot shot um, fantasy football player <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and uh, I had no idea, you know, I had lunch around you and and seen you here and there and stuff, but I had no idea. I just, you know, we're, we're casual friends and right. and sports is a commonality. And then I find out that you're the, you at one time were the number one ranked fantasy football player in the world. And, uh, I just started playing fantasy football last year. I was really excited about it. Towards the end, I was like, I'm not watching the game the same way. I'm like, I'm looking for stats for particular players. So then all of a sudden, my uh, love for the Seahawks was a little different. I was like, I want Bobby <laughs> Wagner to do well, but I don't want you know this and that to do well. And uh, this year, I started out on fire in uh, my league. I was... Uh, I think seven and one or something. And then I dropped last couple games. Looks like I'm going to drop this weekend too. Um, shout out to Steve Kessler. I'm coming after you. Um, so I thought I'd bring you in here and uh, get some advice, you know? Yeah. So when did fantasy football start and tell me a little bit of history about it and how it went from for fun to gambling sites to, the Raiders moving to Las Vegas right? to all in, let's uh, put more money into this. Right. Well, okay. So there's a lot there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you've got a lot going on, man. I, yeah. I, you did some other stuff too, right? You invest, investment in real estate. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I've tried how, to stay pretty busy. I, you know, look, how, many, it, how many businesses do you have? 
Um, I got a, a few, you know. It, Stay humble, Jesus. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> a I, few. <laughs> I, I, I've been. I've, I was fortunate to early on to, to be reasonably lucky in order to start a fantasy football business in the late nineties, and. You know, we started playing fantasy sports. I played with my dad, and everyone has their stories. You know, you had to decide the the newspaper of record to get your statistics from because some newspapers would have different statistics than other would others would uh, for yards and catches and things like that. So, you know, you'd figure it all out by hand. Um, and you know, we were in high school, and it was a lot of fun. And so, when I got to college, naturally, we all, everyone in our fraternity, we all played fantasy football together, and it was great and lots of fun. And so an opportunity came up um, to start a website for fun, free. Uh, we did, you know, and it was um, for nothing more than just free information and fun. And we loved playing. And, you know, a lot of people start a business out of a passion for it. And right. that's where this came from. And yeah. so um, uh, there was a website called FF Toolbox, Fantasy Football Toolbox, that launched in 1997. And uh Proudly, by 2007, 2008, we were the number one trafficked, free, you know, independent fantasy sports website. Uh, you know, outside of ESPN, CBS, and Yahoo, we we had millions and millions of new visitors uh, coming to our website. Um, and you know, it was just fascinating to watch. And and so after we launched um, in the late 90s, there was a I guess in my life, a watershed moment. And I'll tell you something you probably didn't know about me. Um, but something happened uh, in my life that kind of changed my outlook on things. I was I was very business-oriented early on. I, I was very focused. I worked very hard. Um, you know, I got married. And uh, my wife and I got married in August of 2001 and, and, and were unlucky enough uh, to be on our honeymoon uh, in the Marriott World Trade Center building on 9-11. And being in the building when the planes hit and, 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 and the aftermath of that and really trying to clean up the pieces from all of that for months and months, hiding in my basement in massive depression, um, launched this, I'm not going to sit home and hide from the world on that weekend every year of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be home on September 11th anymore, hiding in my basement. Um, and so a friend of mine said, Hey, there's this, amazing thing called the fantasy football world championships uh it's just launching this year and it's going to get you out of your house and you're going to be totally all dialed in and focused mm -hmm. on this and not that and uh and i decided then i said you know what this is something not only am i going to do i'm going all in i'm going to take my family there every year my wife and i are you know we're going to we're going to go there to las vegas every single year and we're not going to be in our house on September 11th. And it's just, we're, we're just going to change our outlook and our approach on life. And, you know, I got to this, this event and it was the first ever live for money fantasy event that ever existed. Um, and I saw just hundreds and hundreds of people just like me, <laughs> right. Um, yeah. football Jersey, you know, just couldn't stop talking sports enough. Um, sick of the leagues that they played at home. For whatever reason, because Uncle Johnny always made bad trades at the end of the year with, you know, Cousin Joey, you know, and would screw my season over. And, you know, be, you have issues with trades and other things in your home league. So you, you gravitate to these something like this world championship where everybody is, in theory, the best in their home league. And they're willing to put up money to prove that. So um, I got there and I said, you know, th this is this is something I'm going to do. 
and and I think it's amazing, and I think this industry is going to be the next World Series of Poker. And so we 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 filmed the event, uh, we filmed all the best players that were there, um, and we approached NFL Network, and when they launched, uh, in actually in 2003, just a little while after they launched. And they told us to go screw ourselves. <laughs> we have no interest in fantasy sports. We think it's gambling. We think you're an idiot. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we continued to grow the world championships with our partner that owned it. We continued to cover it and film it. And we continued to cover the best players in the world year after year after year. And in 2007, thought we had a deal with ESPN to run with the fantasy football world championships with their ESPN original entertainment. Um, we got all the way to the end and they, they pulled the rug out. Um, and you know, same thing at the, at the time it was, you know, there was two things. It was one, um, we don't care about fantasy, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, um, most big media companies like ESPN, like Yahoo have built up what I call celebrity journalists and created them as experts. Um, and that hurts their brand if the actual best players in the world are actually introduced, right? So it hurts Matthew Barry, who's a friend of mine. It hurts his brand. If I told the world that he comes to the world championships or used to would lose in the first round and never come back, right? Um, he doesn't need to come. He, everybody thinks he's an expert and he's a celebrity journalist. So, you know, we created a brand, a brand around the best players in the world and the fantasy football world championships and world rankings, all the while, everybody shut the door in our face. Um, and then when it was a carve-out of, of the internet gaming bill and fantasy sports was considered a legal game of skill um, and was only excluded in, at the time, I think six or seven states, that's when things got real and things got very serious and, 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 and the first bit of corporate money started coming in, um, which – probably tainted the whole industry <laughs> from where we are now. Um, but that's, that's really after that internet gaming bill, the carve out, that's really when, when, when things took off in the industry and, and, and our brand of the world championships and the world rankings. And, and we have a live event in Las Vegas every year. That's like the world series of poker. People fly in from all over the country uh, to compete and they draft online and they draft live. And, and um, we've just continued to pound and build that brand every day in the face of media companies all trying to shut us out because it hurts their brand of their experts. So what happened here with you and CBS? Well, um, we are a small company with a big brand. And when you have a big brand and you've created something in a space and built up a lot of loyalty and a lot of people through the years, um, a lot of big media companies would rather take the easy way and the lazy way out and steal your company. And steal your business. Um, it's not the first time it's happened to us. It actually happened to us one other time where we we had to pr- protect ourselves and defend ourselves in a lawsuit that we won. Um, and in this instance, CBS had us um, on their network as a publisher. And they had our brand of the world championships and the best players in the world and Scout Fantasy on their CBS publishing site, even though they had CBS Fantasy, um, with the goal of creating kind of a, a pay service and creating a, a better brand than anybody else in the industry. Um, they obviously did some things in the background and thought they could steal the business and, and do it without mm-hmm. us, and they tried to. And so we, we have to step up and defend ourselves and, and get our brand back and, 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 and try and get them to stop confusing the end customers <laughs> and things like that. But it, you know, it's, it's a case of a big company trying to bully you, trying to send you into bankruptcy, 
their threats of, you know, this is the classic, you can't keep up, we'll spend you into the, into the ground. Right. You know, those, those types of things. So it, it, it'll work itself out, um, but it's certainly been a little distraction. So what are your brands specifically? You you have Toolbox, you have yeah. Scout.com, right? Yeah, we, well, so we got a lot of sites. Um, you know, we've built out what we call the full-time fantasy sports network. And the network is, is lots of sites. We own a site called FF Toolbox. We own a site called uh, Scout Fantasy. We own Scout Fantasy Sports. Uh, we own a site called FF Champs. We own Scout DFS, which is Daily Fantasy Sports. We own GPP Master, which is a daily fantasy sport game. Uh, we own Quarta Egol, which is a soccer site. It's a, well, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, not yet. Uh, right now it's NFL. It's, it's, it's fantasy sports for, uh, for, uh, Spanish speaking folks that are in the U S and with the, uh, you know, with the Raiders and, and, and with teams playing over in Mexico city, which just got canceled now, things like that, it's getting very popular. So we, we launched a site called Quarta Egol for Spanish speakers, um, and then we, we launched a site called Vegas Whispers, which is a straight handicapping uh, information sharp site. Nice. To, to give out handicapping picks, yeah. Do you have to insure this? Like, is there a situation where there's a possibility that too many people could win and bankrupt the company or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, no. So, um, you know, fantasy sports is, is very, very regulated now. And it, it's actually interesting. We, we were in a position, um, you know, everybody in fantasy sports is, is very careful not to call it gambling right because gambling would be illegal and so fantasy during its carve out of the internet gaming bill is called a game of skill so we're very careful not to call it gambling and very careful not to get in bed with companies that are gambling but it was very interesting back in 2014 you know we had approached um uh mgm uh, on a partnership to run daily fantasy sites together and daily fantasy contests together and season-long contests and them getting behind the world championships and um you know it, everything went great. Um, at the end of the deal, their risk management pulled the plug. And the interesting part was to us was, you know, we've always been hesitant to partner with gambling companies mm-hmm. for the ganu- gambling insinuation, right? Um, but here's a gambling company, one of the biggest in the world's casinos, that's not allowed to partner with us. And the reason they weren't allowed to partner with us is because at the time, fantasy sports were unregulated, and there was no federal regulations. And they said, you know, that could create some real issues for us in our gaming license. It's an unregulated industry. We can't partner with a fantasy business. And so from then on, I knew that the industry would never grow up until there was regulation around it. And thankfully, DraftKings and FanDuel pissed everybody off enough um, that lots of regulation exists in the country now. And so we are one of the few businesses that's regulated um, in the states to offer contests and the protection for the question you're asking for players is you know we have to put out before anybody signs up the number of players we're going to accept in the contest and what the prizes are so the risk for us as a a contest operator is saying well we're gonna we're gonna have a thousand people play right Um, and this is what the prizing structure looks like and then 600 people sign up Right. Um, that would put us in a in, in a bad position. OK, so the risk on the contest operators is getting your numbers right um, or structuring your business. So it's not reliant necessarily on those extra 400 people um, that you would need to sign up. And so there's never an issue where you're going to owe more money because too many people won. The issue actually would start earlier than that at the beginning of the season if not as many people sign up for your contest as your max. Gotcha. And so in the regulations, we have to put the money aside into escrow. And we have audited financials um, by different states, and uh, they have full access into our escrow account for the funds to make sure uh, people get paid. 
because there's been instances in the past with daily fantasy companies and season-long fantasy companies where they stiff people and they didn't pay out their pricing. Ouch. Oh, it's terrible. It, it's um, it, it's a terrible situation. It's a, It actually happened uh, in 2009, 2010. Uh, with the world championships, um, with with the previous owners, uh, it's you know we we were on outside the lines because the biggest contest in the world for fantasy sports stiffed all their players, and I was one of them. Um, and so you know it, it it created protections in the industry, but now with the regulations, consumers are very well protected playing fantasy sports. Yeah, and you give out a pretty big prize in in your competition, one hundred fifty thousand. Is that? Yeah, our uh, our grand champion, our grand uh, grand prize winner wins one hundred fifty grand. You, um, that's some walking around money. That's some nice walking around money. And it's, you know, you, you pay fifteen hundred dollars to play in the world championships. We pay out twelve thousand five hundred dollars in league prizes before the overall championship prizes even even start. So you know, as as a first place winner, you can win as much as ten thousand dollars in your league uh, for a fifteen hundred dollar entry fee. We have other contests. We have a two hundred ninety nine dollar entry fee contest, which is um, our online championship. We call it. We have thirty five dollar leagues. Um, we actually have leagues that, that one of my partners created and it's called best ball. And now a lot of people do best ball, but my partner actually created it about 15 years, about 18 years ago. And what it is, is you get the fun of the draft, right? You get to sit down, you get to draft with all your friends, you do all that. But during the season, there's no free agency, right? So you don't have to pick up players and drop players and you don't even have to start your players. So in, in a best ball, you might draft 20 rounds and then, as the games are playing, after the games are over on Sunday, if you have three quarterbacks on your roster, it automatically starts your quarterback that had the most points. It automatically starts your best two running backs. So it starts your players after the fact, um, after they've scored, which makes it easier to manage your team during the season right. for people that don't have the time. You're not leaving that that star player that, on, the, on bench. the bench, and yeah, you just it, it's you know we we, we it's it's a best ball, and you so you just draft that your guy team. that you know called out. Yeah, like what is it? The Bengals running back. I just put him in uh, Mixon. Mix, Joe Mixon, great yeah. player, yeah. Yeah, so right before yesterday's game, I found out like two hours prior yeah. that, that he's not playing. So I was like, hey, my my, my boy Giovanni is going Giovanni there. Bernard, that's right. Yeah, put him in right away. But if I hadn't come across that piece of information, mm-hmm. you know, I possibly had a, had a guy in there that got zero points. Got zero. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's one of the big problems um, – that we face in the industry is there's, 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 there's a lot of free info and lots of information out there and a lot of information sites. So people ask us, you know, why would I pay? Why mm-hmm. would I pay 1295 for your premium membership? Right. Why would I pay $29 a month for your daily fantasy information? Right. You get that roster alert. That's well, you, you, you get roster alerts. Um, we, you know, you get start set information from a bunch of guys that are winners, guys mm-hmm. that win the most money. Um, and the top-ranked players in the world, they'll sit on our message boards, answer questions for you, right? Who should I start this week? It's always the question, right? Oh, I got these three guys. I need one spot. If you can ask one of the top players in the world for his advice on who you should start, you're, you're a lot better off doing that than going and looking at ESPN's rankings or Yahoo's rankings or somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one thing I would tell everybody is, is, is the rankings you utilize – are the most important thing that you're going to do when you decide which site you're trusting. Because the first thing is all rankings aren't created equal by any stretch. That's right. um, opinion. It, 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 it's opinion. And, 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 and a lot of good sites, we have a great model, right, that, that, that comes out with our projections. And then we have our guy, we call him Rain Man. Um, he tweaks them based on all his models from the years. And then we 
double check it against the NFL line, for example. If, mm-hmm. if an NFL total in the game is 50 and you know your team's supposed to score 27 points in that line, well, then our projections better add up to right around 27 points or right. we're not going to be as accurate as we could be. But the thing with rankings is, and this is very important, I think that it, it's something that most people don't think about. We created years ago the first ever customizable rankings and cheat sheets. Because if I'm playing in a league and you're playing in a league and, and, and your friends are playing in a league, the reality is, is those leagues have different scoring systems, Right. how you get your points. So if everybody's looking at a stock scoring on, on uh, rankings, like on an ESPN or a Yahoo, you're not getting rankings that are optimized for your scoring system of your league. So they'll have certain guys elevated that shouldn't be elevated. Mm-hmm. And you're making your decisions based off of bad information. Gotcha. Right. So if if you have the ability, so if on our site we have a customizable rankings. So if you're a member, you you sign in, and every time you access the rankings, those rankings are custom for your league's scoring system. Right. So it's always the most accurate rankings to fit your league, whether it's defensive touchdowns or or how many points for a, a quarterback's touchdown, whether it's a point per reception or not. All the little things that change, it's customized for you. Yeah. There's a lot of league. Lingo that I don't understand. <laughs> Tim, do you play in a PPR league or whatever? I was like, no, I play in a football league. Standard, yeah, <laughs> standard. Yeah. Yep. See, standard PPR, PPR point per reception. Standard, you don't get a point per catch. Okay, yeah. Look at that. Yeah, there you go. The PPR sun, point per reception. Sun just came up on my league. <laughs> I don't yep. know how much of that's going to help me. Though. <clears throat> if if they don't throw my guy the ball, they they don't throw my guy the that, ball. That's right. Like Mike Evans is is on my team, and and sometimes it'll go, you know, two quarters, not even a target, not a target. Yeah. And then second half, he's two hundred yards, yep. three touchdowns, and crushing it. And it's it's very much is it Jamison Winston in there or Fitzpatrick? That's right. Because the Fritz, he or the Fitz, whatever we want to—it's magic. Call, yeah. It's magic. He, uh, he, him might have some type of chemistry that yep. I, I can't explain. Yeah. Um, he can throw six interceptions, but every time he throws it, Mike, it's in his hands. It's a catch. Yeah. It, it, it's um, Mike Evans is a tough one, right? He's he's hit or miss. He's he's either a lot of points or or he under underachieves. Right. I avoid those guys. I, I I try and draft all guys that are pretty consistent. Stay right around that fifteen to eighteen mark. I'd rather a guy that gets me fifteen points a week. Then 30-0, 30-0. Gotcha. You win a lot more games. I, I like most of the like Falcons and Chief receivers because their system is is spraying the ball all over. And like Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt and the receivers out there, KC is just like, if they can play defense, they're Super Bowl champs. Right. Because they have so many weapons on offense. I, I like that team a lot. Andy Reid does a nice job. He's, he's always done a good job of getting players the ball in space. And that's what he's always been good at. And so with Mahomes, it, it's paid off real well for him. But, you know, Patrick's- you're saying that's really smart because what, what happens is, is is if you're deciding between players to start and, and you look and for example, the Rams-Chiefs game this week, it's going to be 63 or 64 point total that the yeah. NFL's put out that, that, that on the line. Both teams it, are going to score 30. They're going to score a lot of points, right? So if you're, if you're deciding between players and you're deciding between a player, let's say, on right. Minnesota and right. you're deciding on a player of Sammy Watkins, let's say, of Kansas City, right? Um Go with the player at the highest NFL total in the game. So if the NFL total is 64 points in the Kansas City Rams game and the total of the Minnesota game is 48, pick your player in the 64-point game. you got a better chance to score more points. Right, 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 right. And Patrick's my my quarterback too. So. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good pick. 
Uh, he's phenomenal. He's been amazing. Yeah. He's he kind of like Russell had that early, you know, success and Patrick's having that success on steroids. Yeah. It's amazing. Like what, what he's pulled off is, is unbelievable. I, I didn't see it coming to be honest. I mean, I, I missed it. I missed the boat on that completely. He wasn't on any of my preseason target lists or cheat sheets or anything. So you heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, I was on the, on the pulse, yep. but I'm still struggling here. It's the rest of the guys that got to pick it up. Um, yeah, Kareem Hunt didn't get the ball too much at the beginning of the season. Uh, and I was like, I wanted McCaffrey or Hunt as my, you know, second running back because they, they do a lot of pass catching yep. as well. And that, that has has the points, but I didn't get either one. So I was like, then David Johnson was already taken. I was like, who am I going with? But I got Kamara and, ooh, what a beast. Yeah, he's a world beater. Yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, yeah he's a world beater. He's really good. And getting the first four weeks without Ingram in there, very helpful. Yeah, Mark Ingram didn't play the first four weeks. So what happened to Carlos Hyde? Like he got traded and then just stuck on the bench, and he was so good yep. at the beginning of the season, right before the trade. And they took him away from the team. It's not really a competitive team, and then put him on their bench. Yeah, he's um he's well, been he's been underrated for years. He's been a contributor who I always draft fifth sixth round. Nobody ever wants Carlos Hyde. He always yeah. contributes, does a good job. This year, what happens to him and what's happened to him? Perfect example of his whole career. Right, like he's doing a good job. He gets no credit. They they ship him over to Jacksonville. Now he's on the bench. Everybody forgets about him. You know, he's he's been as good a running back over the last five years, four or five years, as yeah. as anybody. You know, he reminds me a little bit of uh, Justin Forsett and um, who's the other guy? That was just on the tip of my mind. <laughs> Gosh darn it! <laughs> the mind is fleeting as you age, people. Um, good player though. Hey, um, let's talk a little bit about your Bainbridge, Bainbridge roots. Uh, were you born and raised here, moved here? I know you went to high school here. I did. I, uh, I moved to Bainbridge in 1978 when I was in uh, second grade, as amazing as that sounds, and uh, lived in a, in a, in a, in a house down um, off, off Ferncliff and, uh, with my mom and my sister. And then uh, we, my mom, my sister, and I, then we moved from there about two years into those condos that were on uh, Shepherd Way there. Mm-hmm. Over behind San Carlos, lived there for a couple of years, um, and then uh, you know one of the greatest things in my life that ever happened was my, my my mother met my stepdad, and they got married when I was in uh, I believe sixth grade, and I my sister and I all of a sudden had three brothers, <laughs> and uh, and a and a stepdad, and it was yeah. it was a very very amazing cool transition in my life to have that happen, and then uh, you know went to middle school here, high school here. And uh, went to college at Washington State. Moved back when I got married. You know, you always say, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. You know, when you're in high school. I can't right, wait to right, get right, off right, band. Right. This place sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then you have kids and you're like, oh, this you is get exactly married, you have kids. Be. And you're, that's exactly right, man. I got to get back where it's nice, safe. I don't have to lock my doors. Good school. You know, not a lot of things to worry about over here. He locks his doors. Don't go <laughs> over to his house right now while he's on the air. Did you meet your wife in college? Um, no. Um, a friend of mine was it's actually a kind of funny story. My friend was dating her best friend, and uh, uh, wingman story. Yeah, it was a wingman story, and and you know she had, she was dating somebody. She was still in college. I was out of college, and and so the second you know her and her former boyfriend had broken up, everybody was trying to set us up. And I, you know, I'm not really, I wasn't really into. Hey, you know, you just broke up with this guy. You've been dating for a long time. Why don't you jump into this other thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so let, let me be your rebound. Yeah, yeah, let me be the rebound guy. I'm not. That really wasn't my gig. So. Um, you know, we kind of slow rolled it for a while, and um, until I found out that she went on another date, and um, 
<laughs> open season. Well, you know, that's that's kind of how it works. You know, you, you slow roll it and you say, hey, you know, don't jump into anything. You just broke out, you know. And, and then so I got a phone call from, from, from my friend. He says, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you know, she went out on another date with a guy. I thought, well, how am I going to handle this? You know, um, I called her on the phone and I said, hey, uh, I heard you went on a date with somebody. That was your opening line? That was my opening line. Oh, yeah, it worked. Um, well, yeah, she was, uh, uh, uh yeah. And, you know, what I told her was, I thought I'd take a very mature approach. I, I said, I'm not going to tell you not to date anybody. I'm just going to tell you that if you date other people, then, then you're not going to date me. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not a person that's going to be like, oh yeah, you're dating two or three different people, or you've gone out on dates with two different things. You're 24 years old, 23 years old. You got your whole life ahead of you. You know, I'm certainly not telling you not to date people. I'm just being honest with you that if you want to date other folks, then then we're, we're not going to date. And so she stopped dating other folks. <laughs> My plan worked. Um, she Wait. stopped dating other folks and yeah, it, it, uh, the rest is history. Where'd you take her on, on your first date? Oh, it's so embarrassing. Um, Chuck E. Cheese? No, dude. We went to dinner, and, and then I took her to ice cream. And, you know, I, I, I was <laughs> – this is really embarrassing, actually. Um, you can't see Ian, but he's blushing. Yeah, it was back in the days when Sports Center was only on a couple times a day. So you could get out so of the I house. So I had to hustle home to be home for Sports Center at 11 o'clock, right? So we, we went to dinner. <laughs> we went to dinner, and, and I took her out to ice cream at Baskin Robbins afterwards, and, and I took her home. And as I dropped her off – all of her friends are getting ready and dressed to go out <laughs> for the night. <laughs> so I'm dropping her off and I'm hustling home to get home for sports center at 11 o'clock. And, uh, and she changed clothes and went out for the night with all of her friends after I dropped her off from our date night. Um, so it was a kind of a funny start. And, and if anybody knows who we are, our first date was actually, if you can believe it on, um, on Halloween, uh, Halloween party. And so she, <laughs> For a couple of days, she was trying to decide what to wear, right? We're going on, I'm going on this first date with a guy. What am I going to wear, you know? And so she went back and forth in all these costumes. She had costume changes, right? And I showed up as Bill the Beer Man with- uh, Old Mariners. Yeah, guy, with right? overalls on, the gloves cut off. Yeah, big pillow on my stomach. I mean, oh, I just look like a complete jackass. And You're a sports nerd. Yeah, I am. And, you know, somehow it worked out. And I look back now and I can't believe it. <laughs> like who in the world would have would have liked Bill the Beer Man? Um, Whatever happened yeah. to Bill? Didn't he like die some tragic yeah. or something yeah, like I that? Yeah, I think he passed away a handful of years ago. But God, what a great guy. What a, a lot of memories with him growing up. And I just, you know, I for Halloween, for some reason that year, I just, I wore overalls and was Bill the Beer Man. Yeah. yeah. For you young <laughs> folk that don't know who Bill the Beer Man is, he was pre-internet, so you probably can't find him. But he was a, a very famous um, beer vendor at the Kingdom. And uh, that's where the Seahawks and, and Mariners started out, and that building's gone, and so is Bill. But he was a bigger, not only physically big yeah. guy, he was bigger than life character. And it was like pre, pre-mascot day almost. Right. You know he, he, he would start the cheers. Yeah. Like, you'd be like, you know, he'd point to one side, and everybody knew where Bill was. Yeah. And he'd point to one side, and everybody see! And he'd turn to the other side, Hawks! You know what yeah. I mean? He And he did that at Mariner games. He did Seahawks games, and he, he, you know, him and... He was the show. He was the guy. Preach. He had a big impression on me when I was younger, and he, he was 
part of the show, and, you know. And on your wife, too. Him, him and Rick the Peanut <laughs> Guy, actually, if you remember Rick the Peanut Guy. Rick the Peanut Guy was the guy that um, used to deliver peanuts, uh, and he'd throw behind the back, hook shots. Yeah. He had all the moves. And he had, like, didn't he have, like, the tennis ball with the slice Yeah, in yeah, it, so. tennis ball with the slice, and he put the money in, throw it back to him. Yeah, Rick was great. Yeah, that I, was interactive at baseball games. I totally remember best. it. Yeah, yeah. In, uh, and I'll tell you, in, in 2001... Uh, I loved, I, I, I was <laughs> growing up. I thought Rick's job was the best. Like right. who wouldn't want to throw hook shots and behind the back and, you know, have the tennis ball. I thought that was the greatest thing. So mm -hmm. in 2001, when the Mariners were playing, um, I went to one of the peanut vendors, um, when he was just filling up and I said, I want to buy your entire cart. Wow. He looked at me like, huh? I said, I want to buy your whole cart. I just want to be able to be, I just want to be the guy that gets to throw them to everybody. And he looked at me like I was crazy, but I yeah. bought his cart out and we went and stood in front of the, in front of our whole section in the kingdom. And we were in the aisle way. And I looked up at everybody. And I said, who wants peanuts? <laughs> and everybody just looked at me like I was some crazy guy. And some girl kind of sheepishly raised her hand halfway. Like, I guess me. And I grabbed these peanuts and I dimed her behind the back, like just the perfect throw. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody stood up and put their hands in the air. And I literally got to throw the whole cart of peanuts hook shots behind the back i mean i did it all that's awesome yeah, it was awesome it was so fun i think i'm similar to you in that way that uh on my bucket list or if i wasn't who i was i would be a mascot <laughs> <laughs> i would be squatch at the sonics awesome. mariner yeah. the moose that'd be fun uh, sammy the orca yeah whoever yeah. you know but I don't have a gymnastic background. Yeah, right. And, and Squatch was so good. He was good. Uh, did you ever see that documentary? Yeah, on, on yeah. the gorilla, the Phoenix gorilla yep. and stuff, how he quit because he was so identified as just the gorilla. But then when he took off the suit, he had no identity himself. Right. He he was completely depressed, yeah. drinking like crazy. Which is and, weird. And then he was like, I got to get back in that gorilla suit. Yeah. I got to be that monkey again. <laughs> and, and then I was, that's the weirdest story I've ever I've ever yeah. heard, but you saw that documentary. Oh yeah, yeah, it was great. I think being a mascot would be a lot of fun. You know, I used to watch Butch when I was at Washington State. You know, and it was always a, a friend of mine was Butch one year. Is and it the bulldog? Or? It's the you know, it's yeah, it's Butch runs around. He's the cougar. Oh, and cougar. He, yeah, and he's the guy that runs around and at the football games and the basketball games and everything. And honestly, it looks like a lot of fun. Like it's just having a good time, getting everybody all fired up. You know, <laughs> until that one kid punches you in the balls because <laughs> yeah. you're you're a creeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's too funny. That's the moose. Would you? You'd be a mascot for a day. Uh, I, I'd love it. It'd be a lot of fun. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to do the trampoline dunks. Yeah, I for sure. But yeah. seeing how short I am, yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a long helps. way down. <laughs> I'm not so worried about going up. It's coming back down. Yeah. I remember jumping off some rock at the beach uh, a couple years ago, and I was like, "Whoa!" I totally underestimated how big that drop was. You know, I'm jumping into the sand. No big deal. Oh, you jumped into the sand, not even the water. Oh, wow. yeah, and I was just like, I, I should be able to take that. And my whole body was like, yeah. at fifty until you break your ankle. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my hips hurt, my knees hurt, my ankles hurt. That's right. My head was shocked. I think I was concussed. And I'm talking about a two foot high rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, were you around when uh, Bainbridge High School caught fire? No. Mm -mm. Johnny Evison was telling me that story, and he couldn't remember that either. But, um. What are some of the crazy things that you saw back in the day on the island? Um, so when we grew up, the police weren't allowed outside of Winslow. What? Yeah. It was... Um, <laughs> Why? Winslow was the city. And, uh, and so um, the rest of Bainbridge wasn't overseen by the police on Bainbridge. They weren't allowed to leave the city limits of Winslow. So um, 
growing up, it was a little bit crazy, right? So everybody, there was lots of lots of beach parties. Yeah, I heard or, beach and a lot uh, of beach parties. parties. Yeah, in the woods, like there was a you know three T Road out there. Fort Worth was a really popular place. There were some other places that I can't really say because it's probably an inappropriate name. But it was it was always a lot of fun, and and you know someone would call the police, right? Like a neighbor would call the police or something mm-hmm. and, oh, hey, you guys are loud and whatever. So when they said they called the police, we always knew we had about 45 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, were they on horses? <laughs> yeah, you know, they come from Bremerton or something. You know oh, what I mean? I see. Yeah, because there's, no, I mean, they're, they're, they weren't patrolling Bainbridge, I guess the best way to say it, right? They're, they're out there in the target rich areas. They think that they're going to, you know, mm-hmm. have more crime. So um, it would always take forever for the police to get here. So um, one of the funniest, some of the funniest memories I ever have was, was knowing that we had 30, 30 to 45 minutes of the police would get somewhere when we were in high school. And then, and then watching it come and you could hear the siren and watching everybody scatter, like literally scatter in the woods, uh, you know, metal mirror on the golf course, you know, uh, people diving in the water. I mean, just like really, really pretty funny stuff that, you know, now I look back and I just think how crazy that sounds. <laughs> um, but without, I mean, honestly, when you're, when you're running around the island and, and, and the police have to stay in Winslow, like it's, it's a little raucous. You know, so I think high school was a little bit crazy when we were here. There was there was there was a lot of action, probably a lot more action than than they should have had. Yeah, it's, it seems like the high school is getting a little crazy again with with the drugs and the jeweling and stuff like that. You know, I'll tell you something. I, I the the jeweling stuff, man. I, I don't. I, I finally had to ask, right? Because I, I asked some kids on my JV team, my baseball team, right? And and of course they all prefaced it with, you know, hey, I don't do it, but I know kids that do. Okay, so we'll start with that, right? Um, I say, why? I mean, why? What, what, what's the draw? Like, and I think what's amazing to me is, is we, have found, we have done such an amazing job of telling kids how bad cigarettes are, and, 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 and they smell bad, and it makes your, your hands and your everything. And kids I talk to, they all understand how gross and disgusting cigarettes are. But they think this jewel is the coolest thing in the world because it tastes like watermelon right and it mango. tastes like cherry and, and and it's less expensive than the other ones and you know what i've noticed in the last year is that that company did an amazing job of targeting kids period yeah there is targeting there's some trouble for that and, and and now they're advertising on like adult radio stations i see it on more adult type advertising like oh no we're we're you know quit smoking use the jewel you know like like we're advertising to adults but that's not their group, right? Mm-hmm. And, kind, of like, kind of like the camel cigarettes with the right, cartoon. That's exactly right. You know, and so this jewel thing's not going away. It's getting worse. And, and what I would tell you is it's my experience. It, it is an absolute epidemic. Like there is no question about it. I think the high school would tell you that the number of jewels they probably take per week from kids or suspend because kids think they can sneak into the bathroom and jewel real quick. I mean, it is unbelievable. And don't they don't they need to police that different like if you're caught the first time it's immediate three-day suspension we're talking to your parents the whole shebang right and you know and i don't know what the punishment exactly is. i know a lot of kids have been suspended for for jeweling in the bathroom or jeweling in their car or 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 whatever and you know i can tell you i I really believe that all this jewel stuff and, and 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 the things with these vape pens has become a lot more popular since marijuana got legalized um a lot more Right. 
I don't know what the correlation between that is. I just see it a lot more. I think it's more innovation in those product lines, which create things like the jewel. You know what I mean? Well, kid, kids are growing up in a very tech world. You know, yeah. I grew up pre-computer, pre-internet. Right. You know, that uh, cursive. <laughs> <laughs> Practice your cursive. Just, just yeah. throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that stuff scares me. You know, it, it makes me real nervous. I, I we monitor our kids. I'm sure you do too. You know, I mean, they're young and no, I, I just let my kid run for <laughs> yeah, free range. Yeah, free range parent. <laughs> it's organic. Yeah, it's sustainable. <laughs> All those cool words. Yeah, out very, green. very green. Very <laughs> green. Oh man, yeah. I, you know, I, I I remember when I was a kid, my uncle smoked, and I was like, why the hell you do that? And my dad and my uncle said, here. Sit down, smoke the cigarette. I was like, I don't want to smoke a cigarette. Yeah, right. And he was like, no, you're going to smoke a cigarette. And I s- smoked it because I was a little kid mm-hmm. and I coughed yep. and had a fit yep. and I hated it. And they're like, there you go. Yep. You're not going to smoke. Now you're done. And then <laughs> that encouraged me to get into these non-smoking campaigns and write ads when I was in fourth and fifth grade. Oh my gosh. And Good I won a, won a national contest with a it was around thanksgiving so i drew this i actually painted this picture of a turkey smoking oh my God. and then i put this font on it yeah. and then it said only turkey smoke <laughs> <laughs> and i won a pri- that's good i won a prize for that and got in a national competition for it oh my god that's that, funny that's good that was going to be an ad campaign there's a little known tim self fact you probably didn't know yeah there's your psa only turkey smoke yeah that's good uh that's a great story though um you got any more? You, oh. grew, you grew up with some some crazy cats. Oh, yeah. Johnny Evison. Johnny. Yeah, I knew. So Johnny, okay. So I knew Johnny because Johnny was older than me, and I idolized Johnny, okay? Johnny was kind of a funny guy. He was a skater, right? Kind of a punk rock guy. Yeah. But Johnny was a good baseball player. And so growing up playing Little League baseball and Johnny's older, man, I used to go watch the Tigers play. He was in the Tigers. And I used to go watch him play because he was really, really good. Johnny was a, I mean, I tell people that now and they're like, really? You know, and they shouldn't be so surprised. Like we got Johnny out to play softball handfuls of years ago before he was such a big wig. Um, but he was a great baseball player. I idolized him. And, you know, I think he was two years older than me. Um, and yeah, you know, Johnny, Johnny's career path has been fascinating to watch. Um, you know, he had a nationally syndicated radio show that he did. Um, you know, I, I had mentioned to you that when we had launched and were filming a bunch of our fantasy football, we had come up with a couple really good treatments that we were trying to sell. And we had cut different deals with media companies and everything. And um, this will blow people away, but Johnny wrote a bunch of our scripts for our fantasy football TV shows. So Johnny used to fly down to Los Angeles and and work in this office um, Mm -hmm. that we were trying to get this stuff off the ground and would write our our fantasy football TV show scripts um, that we had a comedian that was hosting. And uh, talk about underserving his talent, Um, (laughs) right? Uh, You know, I've just always been amazed by him. You know, John- I'm still amazed. Yeah, Johnny's one of those guys that, that is brilliantly smart, Gets along with everybody, connects with anybody and everybody. Yeah, he's um, a real dude. He's a really, really good guy. And and if I could recommend one person for anybody to have a beer with, it'd probably be Johnny. He's a lot of fun, and he's got great stories. So I grew up idolizing him um, on the island here. There's, 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 you know, there's some other folks that I 
grew up really idolizing as well that that aren't back here that are doing some amazing things out in the world. I mean, it's one of the things that Bainbridge has always done. Mm-hmm. We graduate lots of people at the high school who go on to do amazing things. You know, it's um, it's why I wanted to bring my family back. You know, you you, you brought up issues that we're having at the school, and and, and there are, and 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 you know, I, I hear about issues that are at the private schools in Seattle that, yeah, that we look sure. at. You know, and and I'm not sure you can really get away from a lot of that. But the one thing you get here is you really get a great sense of community. And what I've always told people is, is you're allowed to f up here. Like, yeah, like that's, that's how you, you learn. If you f up and you screw up. There's a safety net of a community here that's that's going to pick you back up and give you opportunities if you're doing the right things and and a lot of communities and a lot of schools don't don't have that you know I I wasn't a good student I was a mess I mean I I, I was smart right I didn't study I skipped class I mean I did bad stuff right like I just I wasn't like the model student and I you know my my two friends and I I think out of 218 kids in our graduating class I think we were graduate 201 202 and 203 I'm being serious you know and. But the expectation was always, well, of course I'm going to college. Mm-hmm. Well, of course I'm going to go do this. And you know, and my buddy that was number two hundred two in our class is the senior executive recruiter for Expedia. You know, I mean, they go on to these things, and he graduated number two hundred two out of two eighteen at Bainbridge High School. You know, and I think that's really due to what this community is, and, and how they really give you a sense of what you're supposed to do in life and and, and how to get there. And and I've always told people. That safety net at other schools and other communities does not exist. And if some of the things that I did when I was in school happened and it wasn't in this community, I wouldn't be sitting here today as a success story right? in any way. I, I'd be sitting here as the guy who just got out of jail. <laughs> I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? Like it, it, it just helps you and it gives you confidence and you can screw up and they got your back and, and they'll help you if you're willing to do the right things yourself as well. Right. I, I feel very confident about that too. I know if I saw JR or you saw Vinny, you know, out of place or heading down the wrong way, you know, I'd, I'd pick up the phone, give you a call and, and vice versa. Yep. And that safety net is appreciated and valued in our family completely. Yeah. And I know I've, I've said, Hey, I've seen XYZ doing ABC yep. and called that parent. And they're like, no, he said, I was like, bullshit. <laughs> he's in your car and you know, he's doing this and that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, that's pretty good. You, I, you I like last, me, we're around kids a lot, right? I, I lasted 55 minutes before I dropped. Yeah. Swear words. <laughs> that's that's pretty, good. That's good. Um, but, you know, I'm around kids a lot. Yeah. So um, I feel like I'm a, I'm a trusted person for the kids to talk to. Um, I feel like I can try and give them good advice. But I have a duty to their parents more so than them. And, and so when, when – Well, I, I think that duty is to them. You know, you, right. you care about that kid. I care about the kid. You know, and we'll be in a car and there's seven, eight kids in the car and conversations turns to whatever it turns to. And I hear all sorts of things. And, and at times you say, well, does that rise to the level of something I should take to their parents and talk to some, so-and-so's right. parents about, you know? And you want them to feel safe and secure and exactly. be themselves around you. Yep. So if you, if you do narc them off to the parents, you know, it better be something uh, of a good ill. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Because you, you want that trust with the kids yep. as well. Yep. And um, music. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me what you think of JR's music. <sighs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's so horrible. It, the, it's so horrible. Like he he and his brother listen to such bad music and it, they all love it. They think yeah. it's amazing. They have all these terrible dances they all do. Like 
I don't know. I kind of like the waffle. Oh, the, the, the Fortnite dances are the ones that I just, I can't stand, right? They all, nay, nay. all their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I have a tough time with the music stuff. You know, we yeah. give our kids a little bit of flexibility. Um, we, we try and get them to download the, the clean versions of songs, right? Um, but don't, don't you know people that use profanity are found out to be smarter? Yes, I guess. It's, it's, you know, it, it, bitch ho, bitch ho, bitch ho, bitch ho. <laughs> it is, man. It's 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 tough because I don't like it. No, like, I don't like it. You either. know, um, you know, I I quit using the n word. Oh, you yeah. know, I I quit being a sexist. You know, I, and that's what I hear in in all the music. You know, uh, hey, if if you want to be on an equal par and all people are the same, you know, quit using the n word right. yourself and uh, quit degrading women in your songs. And I. hate I strongly dislike because I don't like to use the word hate. I use almost every other word, yeah. but hate's not in my vocabulary. Um, they get a little hook or a drum beat or whatever, and that's kind of hypnotic. Yep, it's what it is. It's the music. They don't, a lot of times the kids don't even know the words. Yeah, let's be honest. You know, and it's not music. It's it's a drum machine. <laughs> it's Garage Band. Right. It's, right. It's not that that rapper playing the drums or the bass guitar or any of that stuff. You know, and half the time these guys have the worst voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, he's not singing. Oh, I, he's you talking, know, he's not I, rapping. I made the mistake. I, like I said, I don't like the music, and you know, some of some of the songs my wife gets sucked into, right? They're driving, <laughs> she's driving them to school, right? Right. They, get, they oh, give me the ox cord, right? And they put it in, and and so you know, she's grooving to her. You know, she's got a couple that she likes or whatever. And I found myself taking my wife to a concert. Oh my gosh! Um, what was the last concert you went to? Uh, this one, I, I don't even want to say it out loud. <laughs> so embarrassing. Don't then. Uh, so I took her to a this rap concert for mm-hmm. somebody <laughs> <laughs> um, who had gold teeth and the whole thing. And that's a grill, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah grill. I'm, I'm catching up. You don't, um, you don't have one? No, no. Uh, Mine's it, on a layaway. Yeah, <laughs> you wear it in here. <laughs> Because um, this is a visual show. This is, it could be, <laughs> it could be. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, I took her to a concert, one of these, and 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 it, you know, she heard the one or two songs that she knew from listening to the kids' music, and the other twenty, we were disgusted. It was just like this is horrible. This isn't even good music, you know. And so it, it was. It, they got her on some of the beats. You know what I mean? Right. But I just I can't fall for it. You know. No, I, <laughs> I hear it loud and clear. Yeah. And sometimes I don't hear it clear at all. It's just it, the mumble rap. That's right. Yeah. You know, I, I introduced my kids to Run DMC. Mm-hmm. I introduced them to the Beastie Boys, like like music that I th- and, and they laugh. Right, they laugh at me. Um, the Beastie Boys are probably the best rap group, right? Ever. That's what I think. So ever. I introduced them to stuff, and then I made the mistake of of man of playing one song to my older son of Easy E, and. <laughs> <laughs> too because, short yeah <laughs> too. I, I wanted him to understand like what gangster rap used to be and what how it's kind of morphed to what they're listening to now and and i wanted to understand like the roots of it a little bit and so i, I had him listen to an easy song um which gives him the name easy in his head and now he can search all the other songs that he wants to listen to of easy and so now both my boys um no lyrics to easy songs which is my fault and and my mistake but it's that older rap like of run dmc style and, and beastie boys and things like that that i loved i thought that was great a lot of fun i used to go to i, I went to a run dmc beastie boys concert in 1987 i saw the beastie boys play three four times i've seen run dmc three four times it's great but this mumble rap like you said you can't understand it i don't know what they're saying like i just 
I, I don't like it. I don't understand it a bit. You know? Yeah, it's horrible. It's right. And you know, I remember Casey Kasem and uh, Dick Clark and a top forty situation, and your music had to be good to climb those charts. Yep. Now it seems to be all derived by the record companies because I know there's there's a guy named Rag and Bone Man that I'm really into right now and he uh, sings some good stuff and it's quality and he never hits those charts oh my and, son let Jared listens to him yeah he's he's outstanding yeah, he's great he's, and, he is good and um, there's other other people out there that just can't get on there like Everlast yeah. he's coming to the casino here in January and yeah. He's phenomenal artist, you know, work with some of the greatest, you know, Carlos Santana and stuff like that. And he's very, he's gone from, you know, hip hop and rap to more of a blues right. guitarist. Yep. And uh, his lyrics are very strong and they're heartfelt in situations that he's had to deal right. with, with addiction and heart attack and stuff like that. And I feel like there's no like top 40 thing. It's just play a song, play three minutes of commercials play a song and it's like eight song rotation and I get back in the car and turn on the radio again same eight songs song one yeah and it's like never that discovery I'm, I remember K-Fox you remember that AM oh, yeah. station yeah so oh the, my gosh there was Sunday nights where it was nothing but new songs you, right. a song you had never heard yeah and uh, that's kind of gone away it's all commercialized and that's why I like this forum where I can set up five minutes of commercials at the beginning of the podcast and then it's done it's completely the content of you and I having yeah. an honest discussion about what's what's cracking. Um, so, speaking of what's cracking, what's up for you in the future here? What what's going on right now with uh, all this? You got any? Yeah, you know, the, you got a podcast coming out. Yeah, we're on, we're on the iHeart. We're, we're on iHeart uh, on the iHeart app. We we have a lot of guys who work for us in fantasy that do a lot of radio. We're on serious fantasy radio show. It's on in the mornings. We're on iHeart app. We're on the Fantasy app, um, and we do videos and stuff for for fantasy. You know, it, look, fantasy is a great market. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's growing still, uh, but really, you know, the for us moving forward, we're really keying in on a lot of the a lot of the gambling, sports betting type stuff, and and as a as a market for us. And you know, we have a site called Vegas Whispers. You know, one of the things I've always tried to do is is not create a brand or a company that that is that is part of what other people are doing right if i can't differentiate myself from the start then 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 it's been I, done before I'm, yeah then it's been and i can't i'm not gonna be able to compete with all these other guys are gonna outspend us in corporate environments you know and so so with us you know it, like our our fantasy stuff you know nobody has the best players in the world doing their content projections nobody has the world championships or the world rankings and customized rankings and cheat sheets and other things that we have which differentiate us from everybody else and in the gaming space, again, now you have all sorts of people that are jumping in that are that are experts in mm -hmm. sports betting. And so we we've created what we call it's 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 a site called Vegas Whispers. And, you know, um, I could sit and give you my picks all day long and it won't do you any good. Right? right. So what we try to bring with Vegas Whispers is um, you know, we have some relationships with some of the best sports bettors in the world. And we pay close attention to what they're doing and we pass along little information that we get from them from a bunch of the sports books in Vegas. We have guys in the sports books talking to us, passing along what's going on. So we give out information. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before um, with sports betting as an example. And, you know, it, it in my opinion, it, it's one of if it's one of the things that the house does not have an advantage on. Um, people think they have an advantage because most people lose. Okay, they lose because they don't know what they're doing. They're not disciplined. 
right? Just like anything else. Um, if, if you can figure out the lines by an algorithm and you can test that algorithm year over year and it's more accurate the, than the lines that come out, um, you have a definite advantage over the house. Uh, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody's ever heard of guys like Billy Walters. Um, he's a professional gambler in Vegas, the most successful professional gambler in the history of Las Vegas. Um, he sits in a room with, well, he sits in a jail cell now, but he sat in a room with, <laughs> why is that? Uh, he got busted for insider trading with Phil Mickelson. Uh, uh yeah, he, 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 and you know, Phil, Phil turned on him and gave up the info. And so, so, so they go with the sled. Yeah. So Billy's in the tank. Um, but he's the most successful gambler of all time. And he sits behind 12, 14 screens and, 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 you know, he's so sophisticated that he has every line for every sports book and, you know, what he'll do and what other really sharps do is they figure out their own line. So the NFL is very difficult. There's only, you know, 14 games or 15 games in college. There's a ton of games. So what happens is the college lines aren't as tight as the NFL lines are. So it's a lot harder to win an NFL than it is in college. That's first. Um, but what happens is, is if you can create an algorithm, a model that wins consistently, the, the, the golden rule used to be 60%. If you can hit 60% or more, you are one of the golden childs that can make money in sports betting. But now with, with, with how much data there is out there, which didn't exist before, and the access to data, really smart people can make really good models and, and test those models. And so what I can do is I can tell you from the, let's say there's 50 college lines for college football. I can tell you the seven or eight games that their lines are really soft. And when I say soft, it just means they're wildly different than the lines we came up with from ours. Okay. Um, if, if you were a professional gambler and you told the sports book, hey, I'm up $50,000, that doesn't convince the sports book director that you're a good gambler. If you told the sports book director, I'm even, but here's the games I'm betting, he can look at the games you're betting and know if you're a good gambler and know what you're doing, even if you're even. <laughs> because what happens is, is when you look at those college football lines and you know the lines that are soft – it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. It just gives you an advantage over the house, right? So we, with Vegas Whispers, pass along information, right? And the information we give is, 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 is based on the professional gamblers in Vegas and, 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 and what they're doing. They've gotten so sophisticated, what they do now sometimes, and it's actually kind of funny. It's a great story. If, let's say you want to bet the Seahawks last night. The Seahawks were minus three. Last night's game. They're fair by three points. Go well, Hawks. Yeah, go Hawks. Normally, normally when there's a line, you have to lay $110 to win 100 That extra 10 bucks is called the juice, right? Because what Vegas wants is they want you on the Seahawks, Tim, and they want me over here betting Green Bay mm -hmm. plus the three. And then they get the free $20 in the middle of the juice, your 10 bucks and my 10 bucks. It's free money. So they try and equal it out on both sides and take the free money. That, gotcha. That's the deal, right? <laughs> that's how the sports books try and work, right? <clears throat> well, a lot of times what happens is these professional gamblers will come in and they'll see a line and they know that once they bet, word gets out that so-and-so bet this line big. And so they'll come in and they'll bet the Seahawks, for example, minus three, right? And that line might go up and everybody hears about it. Oh, so-and-so's on the Seahawks. So -and, -so. and he's a sharp. He's a sharp. 
So then everybody starts betting on the Seahawks. That line gets up to four and a half, right? Mm-hmm. He now comes in and lays his real bet of a million dollars the other way with the four and a half points on Green Bay instead of the minus three. It's a fake bet. So he'll come in, he'll put a very small bet one way on the game. Everybody piles in because so-and-so bet this game and it's a fake bet just so everybody piles in to move the line so he can get it the other way where he really wants it for a lot of money. <laughs> it's, um, it's a, yeah, dude, it's a fascinating world. And then he has a chance to middle it if it finishes in between. But his real bet and his real value is that Green Bay plus four and a half. And so he's doing everything he can to put a bet here, get the word out that that's what he bet. Everybody piles in, that line moves, 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 gets to four and a half, and then he comes the real way that he wants it heavy mm-hmm. on, the other, on the other direction. It's, it's fascinating, and that's, that's where the industry is now. You know, where it used to be, and this is probably boring for some people, but where it used to be is you used to call a 1-800 number to get picks. Yeah. Right? And Still can. You still can. It's a scam. Not all of them, but what they do is – I know a bunch of the marketing guys for these guys. What they do is they'll, they'll have 100 people call in. And they'll give 50 people to Seahawks, 50 people Green Bay. Okay? Seahawks win. Oh, I'm right for 50 people. I now call them the next day. Okay? And, and now I'm going to give 25 of them the Huskies and 25 of them Oregon State. Okay? I now won for 25 people 2-0. Oh, mm. Right? I now try and close them to buy my memberships. Gotcha. Or if I haven't sold them yet, then I give those 25, I split them in half again. Give them half one way and half the other. Now I'm three and zero for twelve or thirteen people. Those guys are buying. Right. That's a thirteen percent conversion rate out of the hundred you started with. Pretty good. But Be- it's, better it's a than scam. a bank. <clears throat> but it's a scam. Yeah. And so that's that's how those guys, a lot of them still roll. Frank Gore was the running back I was thinking oh. about earlier. He, he's a he's very underrated workman like absolutely running back. Everybody forgets sure. about him every year. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of why I went with uh, Kenyon Drake on my draft. Oh yeah. But then that that has not worked out for me no. very well. But Frank Gore said, I, I see why they got rid of Ajay, because yeah. this kid's the real deal. Yep. And when he said that, I was like, there's somebody that I respect in, in the sport, you know, making a call on the guy that's playing in front of him. That's right. There you go. And he's he's said, okay, I'm not the number one. This kid is number yes. one. And yep. there's a reason behind that. So, but, you know, when you pay attention to that kind of stuff, what the players say, mm-hmm. it means a lot more than what some expert or beat writer says so i know you don't like celebrity prognosticators is that the correct word yeah um i'm a big fan of michael rapaport oh yeah and he plays a lot of fantasy football yes he does he has a podcast with a friend of mine named tommy g yeah oh yeah tommy g is like off the charts tommy, tommy worked for us for quite a while yeah that, that, that kid's laid back cool and tommy's a bank robber <laughs> And I mean that in a very respectful way. Uh, we hired Tommy G. He's a great DFS guy, daily fantasy guy. Um, he does podcasts, very entertaining, a lot of fun. He's kind of uh, Howard Stern Jr. at this point right. in, his, in, his, in his life. But we gave him a start in the industry and, and got him on the radio and, and got him out there to the world. And then um, about two years ago, we, we, we went in a different direction. He went in a different direction. Amicably, good guy. Amicably then? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Tommy's a good guy. Yeah, rap plays in the Howard Stern League. Yep, yep. He's actually um, so he's actually in a lawsuit right now with Barstool Sports. You know that? Yeah, man. Barstools did him dirty. Yeah, they did. They they really they dirty. really did. They um, Where, why did Barstool even pop up? And are, is that like a separate part of ESPN or a no, competitor to ESPN? So no, huh? So Barstool is is 
is basically the media company that no corporate media company wants to really own because they do some outlandish stuff, right? It's like a frat guy, yeah, right? That, that's why Rappaport should have been was the perfect. number one guy yeah. for him. That's why he was doing podcasts for him with Tommy. And Yeah, he, he took his very successful 500-episode yep. podcast over to Barstool yep. and then quickly got into the, the, the crap with them. Right. Yeah. Sounds like they totally did him dirty. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not a good deal for, but I, I think that he's, yeah, they're in litigation now. I think he'll, what do I know? I think he'll prevail probably, but you know, Barstool's done a good job. They used to make all their money from selling shirts and right. hats. And now they've kind of made a name for themselves with kind of being a little outlandish. And, uh, you know. Yeah. They took his district lines t-shirt business too. Oh, interesting. I didn't know and that. And then, because rap used to sell these yeah. shirts. That, that's something kind of popular in podcasting is like you or I will say some catchy phrase, mm-hmm. like try it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you start selling try it <laughs> try out shirts. shirts right? <laughs> right. And rap was really good about that. Right. Right. Yeah. We sell, we sell memorabilia called full-time, full-time fantasy. So we, we sell hats and shirts to say full-time. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to get you a sponsor because I'm a trucker hat uh, collector. You want a trucker hat? I'll I want get a trucker, trucker hat. hat. Sure. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's good looking out. <laughs> Walk around full time. Full time. Yeah. Yeah. No, Rapport's funny. He's uh, he's done a good job. But he, he and Tommy had a pretty funny podcast. And they, and they split. And Tommy does his own thing now. And, and he's, he's pretty outlandish. He's kind of remade himself into more of a, like, like we were talking about earlier, more of a gambling guy. Yeah, you know. I, I watch Raps f- fantasy teams, and uh, he's in a daily fantasy. And, yep, and he seems to be very successful at it. <laughs> yeah, he does pretty well. And you he, know, he, he's tight with Matthew Barry too. Yeah, yeah. You like, you know, Barry's a funny guy, and I respect him because he came up kind of the same way we did. He had a website back in 03, 04, the talented Mister Roto, right? <laughs> um, isn't that funny? Uh, and he went to ESPN. They said the same thing they told us: "Go screw yourself," right? And they told him that twice. The third time, he went back to them. They bought him. Right. Um, he had a lot, a lot of doors slammed in his face. Um, well, you know, adversity he, we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. He gave us, so last year at the trade association, he gave my business, our company, the, um, game, the fantasy sports industry game changer award, uh, for running the first ever live events with the world championships and the pay events and all that kind of stuff and kind of launching that. And, and a partner of mine, his name is Emil Kadlik. Uh, he was one of the, he, well, he was the pioneer in the fantasy industry. He started the first ever magazine business mm-hmm. in fantasy sports. He knows all of the original guys. He has the original draft board from the first ever draft done by the Bay Area sportscasters that all drafted together. Um, he's So uh, Matthew Berry gave us his Game Changer Award last year for, for the history of our company and what we've done and really for my partner, Emil, and for his contributions to the industry and how, how amazing he's been. He's really the godfather of all of it. So you're a big deal in Vegas. Um, and you got like upwards of 10 businesses going or, or directions or <coughs> irons in the fire, yeah. wh- however you want to see it. How come we just keep running into each other like casually, like it's all good. And we, we seem like we have a little bit of downtime <laughs> yeah. here and there. Yeah. But how do you get, how do you get shit done so much? Yeah. It, well, I'm East coast time. That's one thing. So I'm up, I'm up early. Um, you know, all, everyone we work with for the most part is East Coast. Uh, most of the, the high-end daily fantasy players and stuff are East Coast as opposed to West Coast. Um, so I'm up pretty early. And, and to be honest, you know, I always look at my practice schedule with my kids um, and whether I'm coaching as my break. That's, that's my break of the day. So, oh, man, I got two hours, 530 to 730. That's my break. Like, you know what I mean? I'll grab a I work all day. And I never leave my computer, my phone. I'm on the phone hours and hours. Ridiculous. Yeah, you um, need to check out that computer, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm being spied on on my computer. Um, but yeah, coaching's the break of the day, you know? And, and um, 
And honestly, I, I am fortunate enough to have a couple guys that, that I work with that are amazing. They, yeah, they, they, hire smart They people. do so much stuff and, and they're so talented and they work so hard. And I mean, one of my partners was in Indianapolis and the guy literally works 16, 18 hours a day. It's, it's, it's the most amazing work ethic I've ever seen in my life. And, and he's a huge reason our company's successful. And he's yeah. single. He, uh, he's married with kids. Yeah, ah, isn't that something? I <laughs> know uh, it, it's it's really it's amazing. And so you know, we look we we got a lot of stuff going on, and you know, I, I've I've been fortunate enough to become the the guy in Vegas when it comes to fantasy. As funny as that is, we we have a you know, before fantasy was a bit it was a big deal. I was on you know I, I would go on TV down there every year for the World Championships, and and they would do live shots in, and they'd have me in studio. Um, and as fantasy gets more popular than, you know, channel four, channel five, channel seven, channel 13, you know, you kind of, so you become the, the expert in Las Vegas of this thing. And, you know, and then, like you say, there's a lot of people on Bainbridge that you bump into and, you know, on a daily basis and, and you have no idea really what they do for a living or, or, yeah. or what their outside world is all about. And that's kind of the beauty of Bainbridge in that way. Like if you met Johnny down at, you know, for a beer at the bar, you wouldn't sit there and go, that's a New York times bestseller. You right. know, and, and and I think that's a really great thing about Bainbridge is people just kind of go about their business here. Yeah, and I, I hardly ever ask anybody what they're doing. Right. Like, yeah. what do you do for work? Yeah, right. Somebody, somebody asked me that. I'm like, I'm retired. Yeah, right. I say it all the time. Yeah. I'm just I'm retired because that, that's not a conversation starter for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, I've, I've seen you six, seven years and never asked. Right. Never. And, and it's look, I, I I appreciate that out of people, too, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't. If someone asks me what I do, I don't really, I don't have that stock answer. You know, most people, oh, I'm a this or oh, I'm a that. I don't have a stock answer. It's not a very comfortable conversation for me either. Yeah. You know, you tell people you're in the sports betting business or the whatever, and they kind of look at you funny, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, 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 I've been fortunate enough to be on the front end of a couple of things that were exciting to me in my life and fun that other people later on found exciting and fun too. Right. And, and mm-hmm. it wasn't like I ever sat around and thought, oh, man, I'm going to make money in fantasy and sports betting. And, and this is going to be great. And I'm going to do all this. You just don't think the stuff that way. And if you do, it doesn't work out. You know, you follow your heart and you, you do something cool. And other people seem to think it's cool after a while, too. And, you know, it kind of works out, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this podcast has taken off. And I don't know why I started other than I needed to improve my communication. And um, I had quit coaching and I needed to find something to to do other than just straight work and um it's become a personal growth project now and it's allowed me to meet interesting people like yourself and and johnny and the list just grows and grows and grows and now i'm in the thick of it and it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun isn't it yeah it it becomes a passion thing for you and you 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 think about it and you 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 plan your day around it right and you do it for fun, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. who knows? So I say, like, you know, five years from now, six years from now, other people go, man, the thing you do is really cool. And then it becomes something bigger. Right. You know? You, you never plan for it to be that yeah. thing. It just happens. It's it's organically grown, yeah. as they say. Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think about the lingo around here? The, oh. the whole green, organic, sustainable. Yeah. Well, you know, is that I, scalable? I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh, God. So I'm oil and water around here. Like, I don't I, – I don't – I don't fit in real well with that stuff. So right. you Me know, neither. I, I, I have strong opinions. Other people have strong opinions. I, I can tell you this. I truly believe in my heart that everybody wants to get to the same place. And we just have different ideas of how to get there, right? And what, what I see happen is, is people demonize whatever side you're on. You get demonized for the steps you think need to happen to get to that end that you both share, Right. 
instead of it just being, well, we both want to get here. Here's your idea. Here's our idea, mm -hmm. right? Like they, you get demonized for the steps to get to the common spot, right? Um, and then they start saying, well, there is no common end. We have different, you know, you want to get somewhere else than I want to get. And, and you know, look, I live next to the Grand Forest, right? I have an extremely controversial opinion that everybody around here freaks out on. I say, I have a great way to take care of the affordable housing on the island. It's easy, right? Just take five acres of the Grand Forest, right? Cut down all the trees, right? Take that money, have the city donate that property to developers, right? They get to build the house for what they normally build it for, but they don't have to pay for the land. They keep the cost down. They can sell a bunch of three, four hundred thousand dollar houses, right? They'd have to pay the two hundred fifty grand for the land. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And instead of buying open space, which artificially inflates everybody else's property values because there's less available space on the island, right? You you take some space and you let builders build because they have people working for them who make money, right? You take the land out of it, you've just discounted the property by 25, 30%. Mm -hmm. Now it's reasonably affordable for somebody. And you did it by letting a builder still build and not demonize a builder and all the hourly guys working for him and the plumber and the electrician and everybody else, the, the, the place they buy the appliances and everything from, you know what I mean? And, and you could build a lot of affordable houses with very little setbacks and everything. And, and I say that to people and they look at me like I'm crazy. Hmm. Oh my God, the Grand Forest? Oh, geez. I'm sorry, you walk your dog there? Okay, we all have trade-offs. Like, I get it. For me, that's a trade-off I'm willing to make. If, mm -hmm. if, if I want people to live in my community, there's going to be trade-offs. And that's the way it works. And I'm willing to trade off a small piece of where I walk and hike and walk my dogs. How about... Like, I'm okay with that. How about the spot on Day Road in 305, the 20 plus acres of that open meadow that right. the land trust owns? So, so we don't have to cut down any trees. Right. We can just say, Well, the that's, problem with that is there's no sewer out there, right? So there's no sewer line. Mm -hmm. And so I used to own a piece of property that was on the other side of the highway, right next door to the island school. Okay. And it's five acres. Beautiful piece of property. It's right. It butts up to, uh, in between the island school and the vet, right? I don't remember how many years ago they were talking about creating affordable housing and changing zoning to, to make affordable housing. And, 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 and I had to come to city council meetings down here because there were three or four pieces, including, I think, this piece, uh, that at that time were, oh, hey, this could be one of them. This could be one of them. This could be one of them, right, for affordable mm -hmm. housing type projects or artist loft living style things, right? After two, I think, meetings, a guy comes up to me and says, you own, the, you own the piece on Day Road there? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, they can never do it on your piece. You're wasting your time down here. You don't have to fight at all. So what are you talking about? He says, there's no sewer line out there. <laughs> he says, they can't have, you, you can't create any density out there. There's no sewer line. Mm -hmm. You know, a spot that they're thinking about is uh, the island center right across from the gas station in right. Swatties. Right. And I think they zone that for 10, 10 houses per acre on 10 acres. And that's and, great. But they need to, in my opinion. Absolutely. Make it affordable housing. Absolutely. There is no question about it. We, we continue to, to increase setbacks, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I have a, we, we increase our setbacks, we make it harder to build. We make it more expensive to build, right? Um, we buy land to keep it open space, which I understand why, mm -hmm. but understand the trade-off then. Like we don't have to butt heads, but understand what the trade-off is. If you buy a piece of property that's five acres to leave it vacant, you're taking away available land that, Right is buildable and artificially yeah. inflating everybody else's property, which is part of the problem. 
I get why you want to do it. It's a very special place here. We create these places and we don't want them touched, but understand what the effect of that is. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, I used to, I used to talk back and forth with a guy named Thomas Sowell and Thomas Sowell is a fellow at the, at the Hoover, I think it's the Institute in Stanford. He's a brilliant guy. And we used to talk about things <clears throat> because I used to read his, his, his articles. I used to email him. He wouldn't know me from Adam, but he'd email me back. And it was fascinating because he used to always say that the Bay Area, the Bay Area had um, two things to create a sustainably increase for years and years of real estate. And it was liberals running the government and water as a natural barrier, right? So you have water as a natural barrier and with liberals running your government, which is fine, you have increased setbacks, right? So your lot sizes are bigger. If you have 10 acres, it's not going to be. 10 houses per acre in most places. It might be one house per two and a half acres, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the water's a barrier and certain policies become another barrier, okay? You put those two things together and you're going to see increased. And what he used to tell me was, Seattle's one of the rarest markets in the country for that. You have the rare trifecta, right? The trifecta is water, those same policies, plus mountains. So you have these natural barriers, not just water, but mountains, and the policies, mm-hmm. right? So your property values are going to be unsustainable after a period of time. It might not be five years. It might not be 10 years, but you'll be San Francisco in 15 to 20 years because of those two natural barriers and the policies that are the same as we have down here in the Bay Area. So if you, if you think about it that way, right, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense. So how do, we, how do we create affordable housing, right? Do we buy more open space to take more property off the market? which artificially inflates everybody else. I mean, maybe sometimes on occasion because we want to save that piece, but there is a problem when you do that. So if, if you change your thinking a little bit and you buy a property, the city does for $2 million, instead of it being open space, have that specifically for affordable housing. Let the builders build their houses and make money and let realtors sell the houses and make the commission and let people buy a 400,000 or a $350,000 house Instead of it being six fifty, because they didn't have to pay for the land. Very controversial. I say that to people; they think I'm crazy. <laughs> no, I mean we we're looking for solutions. We have to absorb so much population mm-hmm. per ten years, and we need to densify the island in certain areas. And I, yeah. we don't want an urban sprawl, and we need to make housing affordable. And you say three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I don't know if that's affordable to <laughs> some. It's not. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's more, that's more single family type home. I mean, you, you can change those numbers up and down. Right. Depending on how you put that together, but it's possible. It just takes commitment to doing that instead of continuously buying things to leave them open space. Right. Cause that's the trade-off. You know, I, I, I when I make the joke about walking the dog in, 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 in the grand forest and people, you know, I'm being serious that, that people actually tell me, Oh God, you better don't cut that. I, I, I walk there. Mm-hmm. I, I walk my dogs there. It's beautiful. Well, okay. So that's the trade-off you're not willing to make because that's where you walk your dog. Like, okay. So be honest about what our priorities are in the community. Yeah. Dog walking, not affordable housing. There you go. <laughs> Shout out to my favorite business, <laughs> Word of Mutt. That's right. Word of Mutt. 1-800. <laughs> hey, um, we got to get out of here. Yeah. Thanks for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Ian, and uh, look forward to catching lunch with you soon. And uh, Continue up the good work. Man, I'll tell you, I, I appreciate it. It's the best, best hour and a half I spent in a long time. A lot of, a lot of topics. Thank you. A lot of interesting conversation, fantasy, 
gambling, affordable housing, <laughs> partying in high school. We've covered a lot of it. So I, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Tell your friends. It yeah, will do. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. All right. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind. Watching wait to kick the dope in Cause I know I got them dope pens And the dope ends so my enemies got no friends Yeah, it don't end I wake up in the morning, yawning Cops watching wait to kick the dope in Cause I know I got them dope pens And the dope ends so my enemies got no friends Yeah, it don't end uh, You come to my hood and tell me how to live I think I'm good, that's not how it is Not how it works So hours I work on my craft Like I'm leaving the earth Like trees in the earth getting deep in the dirt Not for Reason I search, that's for the birds like the season of turps. You see, yeah. at first, you're the only thing I need on this earth, then. Well, you're the only reason I hurt. At first, you're the only thing I need on this earth, then. Well, only reason I hurt, maybe, baby, that's just how I twist it. But I know you got a hit list of misters who diss it, so now I can't have your big lips. Just wanna love you for real though, but when you come to work, you wear your still toes, so you can't feel no access to your seal, so and so. I gotta pay the bill though, and get fed, barely have the meal slow. Girl, yeah, love is all I'm really here for. Wake up in the morning, yawning, cops watching, wake to kick the dope. In, Cause I know I got them dope pins and it don't end so my enemies got no friends Yeah, it don't end I wake up in the morning, yawning Cops watching wait to kick the dope in Cause I know I got them dope pins and it don't end so my enemies got no friends Yeah, it don't end uh, See, me, I always been a thinker So you telling me we gon' sink, uh, don't compute in my brain I don't just shoot, I'm careful of my aim and I'll be shooting to you Care for the same, on the same dream like some pairs I'm just saying, we all have prayers for the same Already there is the plane, cop you a ticket, have you a visit to where this is First, you're the only thing I need on this earth then But you're the only reason I hurt At first, you're the only thing I need on this earth then But you're the only reason I hurt Ralph Rain Yeah, 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 it's Ralph Rain